Hey, you're, you're on the podcast. Congratulations. I'm on the podcast. Twice. Awesome. Now this is the second time. Yeah. So that means I'm famous now. Yeah. But this time it's just us, just us girls. Oh yes. Um, so I, the kind of, the way that I intend to do these is to like, uh, touch base like at least once a month or something like that with someone from like call us Ragnar. And then I think we'll put this thing out like to Damian's Patreon first, you know? Yeah. Sounds that good. way they get their like dev update, but then I'll just release it as part of the podcast as well. Yeah. So cool. It's like a, I'll have to figure it out. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, so, uh, your, your, your sound design, man. And, uh, yeah, I, I obviously, uh, we met through call of Seregnar, but you also are working on stellar Valkyrie now, which we were talking about earlier, how you just kind of like slid in. Yeah. Um, what a disgusting sound that is. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> let me make that even more disgusting in post. Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, um, I found out that you were working on, is it Skywind? Skywind. Yeah. The, yeah. The Morrowind adaptation, um, it's like a it's a mod for Skyrim, but at this point, it basically is like a massive multi-year project that I, I don't think you can can even call it a mod. It's more like a total conversion because you you can't get it on the Xbox Store because it's too big. It's like I think over fifteen gigabytes now. <laughs> so it's yeah. I've been there a couple of years um, at first as a sound designer and later on as the team lead for the sound design team. Yeah. And we made some really cool stuff there. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's start off with just kind of you and your background and then we'll work our way forward um, throughout your career. If you want to call it mm. that. Sure. Your career. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> um, quotes. So when, uh, when did you kind of develop this fascination with noises? <laughs> yeah, the fun thing is I always thought that I would be making music and I was always into music, into like in a lot of music, like all the genres like jazz, metal, classic, rap, just techno, everything. And and I sought out every different thing that I could find. Like it began with stuff like Radiohead, which by now is more popular but back then it was like the strange music that the strange kid listened to mm -hmm. and then the really experimental techno stuff and everything i could find and at one point in my life i just it just switched and i was just thinking man i love music so much why don't i make something just like try to make music try to get into mixing music making whatever and um yeah i bought a daw uh, ableton knife which i still use today mm -hmm. ableton crew and a MIDI controller, and I started making beats, and then I decided I wanted the beats to not sound like shit. <laughs> so, yeah, I paid for one year of, uh, it, it was called Professional Audio Engineer Study, so it was like learning how to mix and master, um, learning like the basics of sound design. And while I was doing that, I was really getting into all the intricacies of of sound and not so the music itself, like the mixing phase, the EQing, what compression does, all the strange stuff. And I was, yeah, I found out that I spent more time on just tuning my bass drum or making like the the totally intricate snare and, and uh, percussion sounds than, than the music itself. And yeah, that's when I started to look into sound design and there's like nothing out there. <laughs> there's almost nothing out there. I mean, nowadays there's a couple of people, maybe on Instagram and some on YouTube, but it's it's like very rare. It's no real material, as far as I'm aware of. And then I just started trying stuff, buying stuff, and got really into microphones because, um, yeah, in my day job I'm a programmer, so lots of sitting around in front of the computer. So I wanted to get out, and foley or recording out in nature was like the total opposite of that. So. I bought a, a recorder and some microphones and then I got deeper into the whole <laughs> microphone hole and that's that's a deep rabbit hole. Yeah, I hadn't even considered how deep that one goes. So, yeah, and that's 
that's why I, I started. I I found out I, I love just going out in nature and trying different microphones for different sounds, trying to find stuff that you can't hear with your ears, like with contact microphones or underwater microphones. There are so many different strange microphones where you can record electricity or, yeah, I mean, vibrations that you don't hear. Yeah, it's just a whole world out there. And then I focused on that and, yeah, started with some small stuff, um, got early on in, into Skywind as a sound designer with, with my reel of samples back then, which was just <laughs> like uh, thunderstorms recorded and something else that I just found here and there. And that was enough to get me started. And yeah. And there it's like a, a big team. I think the sound design team must be 20 to 30 people, depending on the time. It's like people are coming and going, but there are triple eight people out there that are really like doing this for 10 or 20 years and just wanting to do a fun project on the side. So I could learn a lot and we could chat back and forth and yeah, work together on stuff. And that's where it really started. It was like four or five years ago now. And then I just kept on going. Yeah. So does the, the networking, I guess like is kind of the payment for working on a project like that. Obviously there's the satisfaction of delivering a really cool product, but like, you know, it's a, it's an entirely volunteer force. Right. Yeah. For Skyman, it's completely non-commercial and it has, has to be because of the Elder Scrolls. Um, it's right. like, we, we don't have the rights to it, so we can't sell it, but they tolerate us. So you can make it, but you have to be non-commercial and it got so out of, out of, yeah out of scope early on and i think the whole team is like 300 people or 400 if you mm -hmm. count like the voice actors it goes up to 800 people which is just <laughs> for a non-commercial fan project that sounds like crazy but early on there there were a lot of people that took this really seriously into heart and just doing that and nothing else except their main jobs and they try to manage it all and and delegate it all and yeah it's it's a really working system. I mean, the only problem is you don't really know when it's done because if you suddenly don't have like 3D artists, then the whole pipeline is stuck because you're waiting on models. So you can do cool stuff, but essentially the game doesn't progress that much. So you have to always find volunteers. Um, yeah, and that's that's always <laughs> that's always the public image. It's like, yeah, Skyman is never going to be finished and they just want more people, more people, more people. But the reality is it's like an organic project with just a core team of maybe 10, 15 people staying the same. And the RS are maybe coming for one quick job and then leaving or for one month or for one year. And so you have to train those people. You have to get them onto the whole system, onto the tasks. And yeah, it's a lot of overhead. But <laughs> but it progresses steady. So yeah. yeah, it works that way in any game studio really like people come and go yeah. and change and it's you know they you hire someone to do one thing and then they leave or you know whatever absolutely it's like it's like yeah. the same thing but just stretched because you have sometimes you have people that are on six months but do basically three hours of work and that's mm -hmm. fine i mean they all do it for free but you can't really plan like this month we're going to get this and this done so we try to plan stuff or we tried to plan stuff <laughs> I, I left the project a couple of months ago but um, yeah, you can just aim for stuff and and hope you get the best. So, but in the three years or so I, I was there, I saw a lot of progress and a lot of people with ideas that just picked the tasks up and go and went with it. So yeah, amazing, amazing team. I don't know why uh, Bethesda wouldn't do the same thing Valve did with like Black Mesa and she yeah. like, you know, hey here's a budget and then put it on steam and then we'll take a cut. Like it wouldn't be that big a deal. And it would, yeah. you know, <laughs> many people they just don't that. have to. They don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Many people, many, many people ask that. Uh, why don't you go to this public or why don't you ask Bethesda or something like that? But I think, I think the project in the end would be better off it if it would not happen because oh, yeah. at this point, I mean, we were doing such crazy stuff. Um, I think I was telling you last time we did like 300 or 400 sounds for footsteps alone. <laughs> and that can't happen on a budget because that's just, I mean, it can happen on a really massive budget, but there's <laughs> that was just one tiny part of the puzzle. And we just did that because basically we wanted to do that and we put the time in. And yeah, for, for that kind of stuff, um, you need people 
like running free to an extent. So, yeah, yeah I remember uh, with Bridgeburner working on Age of Hell. I was like, well, why don't you make it, you know, a commercial product? And he was like, because so many different people have contributed to it over time. And when we started it, it we didn't really intend for it to be what <laughs> it is. So it's like, there's no way to go back and keep track of everything that you should have been keeping track of if you were doing something like on a legal basis. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's cool. I mean, like you're making a lot of cool, uh, you're getting a lot of experience first of all, and you're meeting a lot of really interesting people. And one day yeah. they're going to need a guy and you might be that guy. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, and I have people now that I know as well, I have voice actors I know and, and programmers I know that are really good and that I know can do some amazing stuff. So, um, if there's ever an opening, I, I know who to talk to. So, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, it's like, yeah, we have people from all over the world. I, I talk to people from, I think, Iraq and people from Africa and people from Australia and New Zealand and um, getting contracts for all of those people. <laughs> I guess <laughs> that would be a real pain. And yeah. And revenue distribution. I mean, the core team would have to have revenue distribution some of some point but what is the core team really i mean yeah that's that's all questions i'm glad they don't have to get into that so <laughs> and ultimately like it'd be really nice to make a, a lot of money off of it but at the same time like, you have all this freedom to kind of make what you want out of passion and then like if bethesda were to put their hands on it then they may then start making demands or yeah you know, Absolutely. We all wanted to make the game we wanted to play ourselves. And while I was on the team, that was also my intention. I wanted that stuff that I liked in there. So a small example is, for, um, is the waterfall sounds, for example. It's It sounds really stupid, but if you really pay attention to waterfall sounds in games, especially in first-person games, they are way, way too quiet. Waterfalls don't sound like like that. I mean, in Skyrim, if you're in that uh, one town, I don't remember the ma name anymore, where it has that big ass waterfall on the side and you can talk to NPCs. In real life, if you have like a 20, 30 meter high waterfall, like 50 meters away, you can't talk to anyone because it's just roaring. And that always irked me when I played this. Even, even back when I wasn't doing sound design, when I played these games, um, sometimes I would listen to sounds and it was like just. That doesn't sound right. I mean, I understand it from a gameplay perspective, but I'm I'm really keen on immersion. So that's why for Skywind, for example, we turned that way up, way, way up. So you can hear a waterfall from very far away. So if you know the area, basically, you can orient yourself by sound also. And yeah, that was a big part of me. And I don't think in a, in a commercial project that that would be yeah something you could get through because you have to open it up to the masses and everyone should be happy and nah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. So you like you, your fascination with sound though is fascinating to me, I guess like the, cause I don't really consider myself much of an audiophile. Like I have a really good ear for what I think sounds good. I mean, I'm also a musician and I have very specific things that I like a guitar to sound like, you know, and I, yeah. it's frustrating. I was actually the guy that I was hanging out with yesterday. He's also a guitar player, but he's primarily an acoustic guitar player, but he can play, I mean, he can play electric, but he just has no, um, idea what all these knobs do. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> to him. Was, yeah. Cause I grew up on that. And I'm like, no, you gotta like, you want, if you want that Metallica sound, you gotta turn the mid off and just crank the treble and like put the bass <laughs> pr pretty high up there. And you, you want that scoops like, burn, burn, like, yeah chugging sound and that i get but i don't have this uh this obsession that you have for like very specific little details of <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really have that obsession yeah um, i mean can you can you point to anything in particular that like is there a time in your childhood where you became aware of that or was it just a just like you explained earlier just through trying to make your own music sounds no i think it, it was really through music i yeah if I think back, I don't know. I I always liked when a song came on that was different. I mean, the first time I, I was hearing Radiohead, um, I was just blown away. I was just like, that's that's kind of music, but sometimes the song just breaks down into chaos or something, or there's like 
no vocals for a minute in the yeah. middle of the song, which is like, pff, I don't know. I've never heard this before. And then, then I got into like FX Twin or I don't know if you know the whole side of the yeah experimental electro stuff. Um, there's so much like texture in there and and feeling and and emotions just through sounds and silence and modulation for example which is a it's a whole part i mean you can hear it to a if you're in the, in a disco dancing all night and the music sounds the same for four hours but it gradually <laughs> changes if you're really a fan of techno and if you can really like let yourself go to it for an outsider that doesn't listen to this music and just like listens to the live set, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's the same beat. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it's a bit different, but I guess it's just force of ba-doom, ba-doom, ba-doom. But if you're really in it and like feel the, the vibrations from a big sound system and have like the modulations and sound, I guess that always fascinated me, even as, as I was like partying at 18 or something. Mm -hmm. So. I think maybe the fascination came from music and from not the music itself, but the sounds, I guess. Yeah. The, or the soundscape rather than, yeah. No, that's really, I mean, I, there's everyone's different, but somebody's <laughs> got to be you. Otherwise we wouldn't have competent sound designers on video game projects, I guess. <laughs> but no, it is bizarre. Like I, I remember because I we we both kind of grew up during like the the Napster Live Wire era of people just getting <laughs> free MP3s off <laughs> the internet. Yeah, and <clears throat> when I, I I didn't really understand this until honestly years later. Like I, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't until I really started podcasting and like mixing all my own stuff. Um, the concept of like MP3 wave flag like and. I know mm -hmm. people who like, I refuse to listen to any music that's not like either on a vinyl record or a flak file because <laughs> I, and to me, I'm just, I don't fucking care. <laughs> I don't, I don't hear the difference. I, I can show sure it to I, you. I, I know what it is. Like I understand yeah. conceptually what it is, but like I'm perfectly fine with just some headphones yeah. and loud ass music streaming off of Spotify. Whereas I know some people are like, I can't listen to this. And honestly, like if it gets to the point where you can't enjoy music anymore, if it's not like, it's it's as if you were like a a sex fiend or something, and it's like you can't just do a finger anymore. You got to have the whole fist in there. Now. This is outrageous. <laughs> yeah, the thing <laughs> is, just, I I know exactly what you mean because um, at the beginning of this journey, I was the same. I was like, hey, a good MP3 is totally fine, but now um, the the difference is you got to have at least a bit of trained ears. Mm -hmm. So trained ears can also mean you listen to music on really, really good headphones and a really good system. Um, but if you have a, a, yeah, a certain kind of experience with listening to music and you have a certain kind, and that is very important of good headphones and a good uh, amp, that is also, I mean, you can have great headphones and just plug it into your phone, which, yeah, I've seen people do this and I don't get it. But then you can That's... hear the difference and then you can, the, the problem is once you've understood it as like you, you hear an example of like two versions of the song of two like um, short sounds and you hear like the graininess or like the distortion, whatever you may call it, the artifacts, uh, you can't unhear it. And then you understand it's not like you can't enjoy any music anymore. I mean, I enjoy music in my car. I enjoy music just playing on the phone. That's totally fine. But when I put on my good headphones and listen to a really good mix on a good amp, and it's that might be a really great MP3, but most of most of the time it's not. It's most of the time it's a wave or a flag. Mm -hmm. Then you have some something more to it. It's more like I don't know. Sometimes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. It's like those really rare moments, moments in music, and they happen a lot more often if you have a great system and a great sound. So, yeah. I, I mean, like, yeah, I don't need a vinyl of an album that was recorded digitally. If that makes sense, no. you know, like, yeah, yeah, totally not. That's that's the whole that's the whole fetish of it. I mean, I understand mm -hmm. that, and I understand the vinyl craze because you you have to pick out your record, you you put it on. The whole ritual of it is nice. But the sound quality is the sound quality, and the flag sounds 
like a vinyl. A vinyl sounds a bit different, but that's because the vinyl sounds different. You you mix differently for vinyl. I mean, I made an album, and my mix for the download is another is another mix and mastering uh, as for the vinyl version because it just works differently. You can't mix it the same. That's just the way it is. Right. And yeah, if I put on like Led Zeppelin's "Houses of the Holy" on my like I have it on on vinyl record, I can absolutely hear the difference between that and when I just stream it on the internet. But I mean. I don't want to necessarily pay $10,000 to hear my favorite song all the time. Like that's yeah. just, and I know some people like, if you have that kind of money, like go with the fuck ahead. Like I'd be decadent if you want, but it's just, <laughs> it's so much to think about. And as yeah. you said earlier with people who like buy really nice headphones and then stick them in their phone. I mean, the, the information that you, like, it's easy for you because you're obsessed with it anyway. Right. Like, and we yeah. both are that way about different things. Like you get into these like nitty gritty little details and like, but most people just want to like, they don't even, they, they think they hear the difference and that's all they need. It's a placebo. Yeah. Effect. It's like, yeah, you know, I went out and I bought myself a really nice pair of headphones because I want to improve my music listening and then they're yeah. done and then they're, they're satisfied, happy customers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's like a small percentage of people that really hear the difference. Um, mm-hmm. Just like there is with everything else. Like there are people yeah. that see more colors and there are so many different people, uh, but to be honest, for me at least, um, I can get the best sounding stuff for under a thousand dollars. That's totally my my deal. And I tried the ex- more expensive stuff, and I tried to really be objective about it. And I can't hear the difference. I totally it's like can't. Wine. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a bit like wine, but there is there is a, a massive difference in my opinion if you have like great headphones and just stick it into your laptop or into your computer or you have like an amp if you get an amp and that can be an amp for like 80 bucks one of the good ones like 80 100 bucks is totally fine and like 100 to 200 dollars of headphones and i'm very much positive than that everyone can hear the difference because yeah you suddenly especially if, if you have like open headphones i have open headphones on right now if you have really great mixed sound you can really read room you you know where the where the musical instruments are you can feel movement that's like yeah i mean just just crazy and not even talking about binaural stuff because binaural is just it's just magic magic the first time i heard a binaural sound was like the classic someone knocking at your door yeah and it was knocking behind me to the right and i was turning my head and instantly getting goosebumps like all over me because there was no door and I knew there was no door, but it was perfectly placed just like someone was knocking on a door behind me. And to this day, I can listen to this sound and I know it's not real, but it it irks me. It's, yeah, you can't do anything about it. So sound, sound has so much power if it's clear mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's a bit of my goal. My my perfect dream project would be a VR game, a horror VR game where I could really go nuts with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day, man. Yeah, it, it is amazing though how immersive it really can be. Like the, it, this happened to me recently where I was listening. I think it was the second Over album, and there's a song that is like a thunderstorm playing in it, and I was sitting there listening to the song. And fully <laughs> believed that it was storming outside because I didn't realize yeah. it was coming from my headphones. And it was absolutely so incredible. And and then I, at some point I like got I was like oh man I probably should go like check and make sure nothing's blowing away out there. <laughs> and then I just like open the window and it's bright and sunny outside. I'm like what the fuck? And I take the headphones off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some some sounds are easier to to make real than others. Like like a thunderstorm, for example. If you have a good recording, it's it's really easy to. If it fits your environment, that's that's the other thing. That that's what most people um, don't realize. If you have like a, um, for example, if you have an, a sample for a roaring fire, just like a roaring fire, then everyone else would be nice. I have a fire sample. I can put this in my game. Everywhere there's fire. But even if it would be like a fireplace, if you haven't. If if you don't have like a clear recording of it in a like soundless room where you can apply reverb, then you have <laughs> a fireplace sound in a specific room. And if it doesn't fit, then even if you don't realize it, you somehow feel it's kind of lacking. 
You know, you go through the through games. Some of those, I I think, indie games or like medium budget games have this, where you go through the the, the levels and you feel like it's nice, but something is missing. And oftentimes, I feel that's sound design because either sounds don't fit each other or don't fit in the environment, and then the immersion is broken because you 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 might not constantly consciously think about it, but your your brain really realized that something is wrong. But you can't put your finger on it if you're not obsessed with it. So, yeah, that's there's so much so much value to that, and you also you also can feel this with older games. If you have like a really old game that still holds up, it probably has pretty good sound, because even way back when the graphics were not ex- as expressive, if the sound was good, it sucked you in. I mean, the rest had to be good. The story and, and stuff had to be good as well. But if the sound was bad then it, it never could get you as deep in as it does. That's that's always the case, yeah. You know, that's pretty analogous to Seregnar as well. It's still got this very retro aesthetic and everything, but because of all the extra fluff that, that you and Tony bring to the table, it's like this, wow, what an incredible thing. And that is true. Um, Thanks, man. I really appreciate I mean, it. You know, how many how many little indie projects like what we're doing have like a, a real orchestra playing their... <laughs> Theme yeah. song like that's just bizarre to me, and then, and then the work that you guys all do is I'm I'm so proud to like even be part of it. But um, can you give like examples of some of the things that you do for Seregnar specifically that you that are like analogous to what you're talking about in terms of making it ex- explicitly and even more immersive than perhaps your average indie indie game and in a similar genre? Good God, I suck at talking today. Would be. <laughs> We can all fix this in post. Just send it to me. <laughs> no, I will cut this up to like five minutes of real talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, with Call of the Ragnar, um, I saw the project on Twitter. And it, just to give you some kind of background, I think you know the story already. But um, And I I just wrote Damien, hey, do you have a sound guy for this? Because it's just right up my alley. It's 90s. That's the games I grew up with. And I, I feel it really has to nail the sound as well. And yeah, we got we got to talking and they got onto the game. And my goal from the beginning was to make it retro sounding, but also real recordings, which mm-hmm. sounds a bit silly. But yeah, what I want is that if you don't really pay attention to it, you hear retro sounds, but it feels high definition. And that's why I go out with um, two microphones if I can. If not, I have to reassemble in the studio. But I have like a microphone that sounds really tinny, 50 sound, um, which gives the it this like lo-fi, yeah, back in the 90s where you don't didn't have uh, as much resolution sound, mm-hmm. and also a really new and high quality recording sound, and I mix those two together and try to find the sweet spot where it sounds retro, but if you like, just flow through the level. It gives you this kind of realism that that yeah normal modern RPGs give it, and that's my goal with it. And it's really sometimes it's it's really a challenge, but I I want to do every single sound. I want to, I mean, I I got out and got real bird sounds, and made them like retro. But if you if you are a sound guy, I I hope you can hear the difference between those normal lo-fi samples and the good recordings I did because I feel it has that certain edge to it that I haven't heard anywhere else. And yeah, I want to make yeah the whole sound language of, of Colossal Regna that perfect blend between retro sound and immersive high-definition sound. That's my goal with it. It's really amazing to me how... how and how many projects... I'm going to say this a lot about Colossal Regna, but like where every person involved completely, totally agrees with like the initial... <laughs> idea of what it is like every, everyone's like totally on board with the design principle and i think the key design principle of this game is that we're taking the idea of what like the nostalgia of or really specifically damian's nostalgia <laughs> of betrayal at crondor and it's still gonna feel that way and it still does feel that way but it's so much more accessible to yeah modern gamers and without even because it's not like you 
sat down and had like a discussion with Damian. It, it, it we're like, this is how I want to do the audio for, it. I know that you did at some point, but I mean that you already had that idea. Like you knew what you wanted to do. And Tony is exactly the same. I was like, I know exactly what I want to do with the, <laughs> yeah. the way that this music is going to sound. And, and even if you're looking at the artwork, like Damian has sent me, you know, like he's got the retro looking one and then he's got the really clean one. And the mixture of both is actually the sweet spot where you have that, you have that very retro feel, but you still have that very, very, very like awesome modern take on the same thing. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, that's, I think we just found a perfect team. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as I understood that Damien found Tony more or less the same than me, just like looking for a composer and they just got along really, really well. And now we all three go along really well. And now we four go along really well with you. So yeah, it's just, I think we have the same goal in mind because we might have seen a lot of projects in the past that didn't get it because when I think back of all the remasters and remakes I've seen, I feel they are mostly are just those that just upscale everything, just make the yeah. graphics high definition, keep the polygons the same. So it looks like the old one, but better. And then if you really look at it, it mostly doesn't work. For for example, for Silent Hill 2, I guess. Yeah, Silent Hill 2 was the one. They did a high-definition remaster, and now the fork is gone. So it feels like a shitty PlayStation game and not like a immersive, there's fork everywhere. It's really creepy kind of environment to me. Um, when I saw the footage first, I thought it was like a tech demo. So <laughs> yeah, that's, I think, because we all want exactly that. We want that that image of of the old game that that feeling of the old game we want to recreate this and i think we are on a really good path so far it, every time i boot it up it feels amazing tony's music is just chills up my spine especially <laughs> as you'd mentioned already the orchestra recording is just marvelous and yeah running around in there seeing the sights hearing my sounds i i think it just all fits together and yeah i hope people can appreciate it the same way we do and but I think they can because it really is a work of art. It's yeah, it's an amazing project. There's a I think I sent this to Tony, but not like I didn't post it anywhere, but it's like a recording of me and I played the sound like the, the theme song to Seregnar on a twelve string guitar. So to kinda like it's I mean I'm not gonna go nice. get a lute or anything, but the <laughs> He legitimately was like, "Oh my god, did you find a loot?" And I was like, "No, it's just twelve string guitar." But like that, that's how, like I was sitting there listening to the song, and I'm just like, "There are so many um, orchestral soundtracks to, especially to games and movies, but that are basically just unrecognizable crap." You know, it's just like, okay, well, there's some classical music because it's supposed to be there, obviously. And then there are these songs that just they hook into you; they really capture your soul. You know, like the Lord of the Rings soundtrack or like most of what John Williams does, like that kind of stuff is like, it's not just noise in the background. Like you're like, it's like immersive and you know, when you hear it, that this is what this is. And that's a very difficult thing for most people to capture. But I mean, fuck, Tony is amazing. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. That's the, the first time that I heard it. I was just like, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. Like, holy cow. (laughs) Yeah. It just nails it. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely i mean that's yeah but the really i think you can feel it with the passion projects um where 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 i also felt it was um with the skyrim soundtrack back then because they got the whole uh choir choir what a what a weird word for german the whole choir the whole group of men to sing chorus. um <laughs> is that easier for you yeah. to say that is <laughs> way easier man i should i should study more pronunciation anyway um they got the the whole chorus in there and it felt really powerful. The recording was really powerful. The concept was really fitting. And every time I booted it up, the theme song was like just great. It just stuck to me and it was like, yeah, this is the Nordic man choir. And yeah, it just, it hooks into you. The same thing with um, the Doom soundtrack back then. I watched a lot of behind the scenes material because of course um, the whole sound design of doom was just crazy i mean i I learned so much just 
watching the behind the scenes and listening to yeah what he did on there and i mean he mixed he for the guitar sound he mixed guitar sounds and uh chainsaw sounds mm-hmm. and melted them together that's why the guitars sound like weapons and for me it was just brilliance but yeah to to have that kind of devotion that makes something really stand out and the doom soundtrack to me still now is like a a really great metal album just like back in the day where it was just metal songs <laughs> i mean yeah amazing and and for doom eternal they did like a heavy metal screaming uh, chorus with like i think 12 or 15 vocalists that could scream and growl and they made a chorus out of that that was just yeah amazing craftsmanship and if if people are really committed and like into what they're doing then the end project i think you can always hear that yeah and with tony <laughs> tony is always full on board if he makes something he's really into he he really just yeah chips away at it, uh, until it's perfect that's tony <laughs> i think i think in order to get great art you have to have i mean passion is obviously like the main ingredient and yeah. when you're when when you end up with these you know giant budget projects where there's like a million different cooks in the kitchen that kind of thing you know it may be that the guy that you hire to write your you know or orchestral soundtrack is just like okay just another day in the office i'll go in i'll write a song haha shit it out and they don't know what they want anyway and then you <laughs> yeah. you, you know that's what you get absolutely yeah but yeah with with tony it's like that he just he's working on every single track as if it's going to be his legacy which is <laughs> possibly unnecessary but it really translates into a really like special experience and and it's great art and that's that's at least on my end that's what's important to me and that's why i just generally love small or independent games or even you know film music whatever like i like small yeah. things that are just like i'd rather it not even sound that great and just i know that it's a work of passion than it to be you know, uh, like, have you seen some kind of monster? Mm, not yet, no. Oh, so it's like a, it's a documentary about Metallica. Yeah, I, I heard it, but it, yeah, didn't see it yet. Yeah. Well, it's just like you, you can, you kind of realize that they're no longer in touch with just being a bunch of guys in a band <laughs> anymore. They're, they're essentially like, they're a business, they're a franchise and they're like, yeah, we got to make this album and then they can't work together because like James is like on drugs and drunk all day and, and you know, their bass player quits and then they're just like, I don't don't know who we are anymore. It's like, get back in touch. It's a really good documentary, but yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that personal touch is everything. And that's what this game is a personal touch to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To me as well. And tickles me right in that fancy little place that always gets me going. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we can tickle you. (laughs) Um, so like, um, we had a bunch of new sounds that you did for it recently. I think that were implemented, but very subtle things like you'll, you'll go out and like specifically look for different bird sounds in the different environments. (laughs) Yeah. Last time it was like the specific waterfall. (laughs) (laughs) I drove like, uh, 40 minutes. But I mean, I made it a family trip. So my wife and kids, oh, okay. um, they <laughs> they walked on ahead and I would stay at the waterfall for like half an hour and just record sounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dad's so got it, his microphone out. Let's leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was, it, it, it was the, the trip was from the beginning. Like, I want to record this. Do you want to come with and just take a walk? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we can, we can couple that. That is, that is really nice. Um, and that is that is really what I like about Foley. I mean, most of the time I go alone, especially because if I want to so, um, record something really delicate, like bird sounds, for example, um, no one can like stand next to me and rustle with like the jacket or something. And that's <laughs> just ah, oh, if you if you have the headphones on the first time and listen to like a microphone where it's not filtered because your your ears filter a lot, but the microphone doesn't filter anything. So the first time I, I recorded, I was listening back to my recordings and I was really proud. I was like, yeah, I, I nailed it. I, I recorded so much good stuff. And then at home, I listened to it and I heard the plane and I heard the birds and I heard people in the background talking and I was like, what the fuck? Um, so you really got to get like an experience to how to how to listen to 
specific things and how to not tune out everything else which you're used to which is really annoying but yeah most of the time so uh, most of the time i'm i'm alone out there but this time because of the waterfall i mean the waterfall is loud and roaring so that was fine <laughs> they just went ahead for a couple of minutes and then i could record but yeah i i look for specific things because call of the regna is so dear to my heart and because i want to i want it to fit because that is as I told you before, that that is something that always irked me while playing games. When I was just standing there and the door was being opened and it sounded like metal, but it was a wood door, for example. <laughs> that was something where I would like to just punch the designer in the face. And now I know it probably was a guy that was just getting paid and just had like, yeah, get the sample library and put this stuff in. We don't have a lot of budget. I understand that, but it really I, I can't I can't do that. I mean if I don't have the sound, I either go out and record it, or if I can't, for example, for big explosion sounds, my wife won't, won't let me explode something like in our yard, and probably the police would show up. So um, for the stuff that I can't record, I get really specialized libraries from, yeah, there are a lot of companies out there that do really crazy stuff. And everything else, or the bulk of the, the things, I really want to go out there and find. And that's like the that's the drive and that's like my motivation like okay yeah i need a waterfall sound let's just look on google maps what's in the area look at the pictures that could sound good sometimes i even find some shitty video on youtube from someone with with this uh smartphone which is nice because then i can hear how it could sound <laughs> and yeah i can scout it um, before but yeah that's that's really like that, that's part of the fun for me so not every sound designer does this there are a lot of people that more like more more the technical side of it like taking sounds and combining them making something new out of it i like that too but i like the recording stuff better so it just makes yeah. more sense for this game anyway because yeah it is a very i mean i, I tried to talk damian into like let's change the name of the game to like let's take all the story out and it's just a game where you just walk through retro looking forest for yeah. for miles and that's it and honestly i think there's there's probably a lot of money in that yeah if we if we decided to do it but i mean maybe really a does. couple of it years ago like when the walking simulators goals. when the walking simulators weren't as big maybe a couple of years ago it would be a real hit but <laughs> now they are like like a lot of walking simulators no i'm I, i'm just joshing but yeah uh, it is it is really cool that you do that and it makes perfect sense for the product that you're making because it just yeah. it needs to have that really immersive like natural feeling um i talked to michael markey who did the is doing the sound design for viscera fest but it's like that yeah. game is like in space and shit so like it should have all these bizarre weird unnatural sounds and there's an art to that and i, I know that you're capable of doing the same thing because you're doing it for valkyrie as well <laughs> but but even valkyrie has like this sort of similar thing where it's like yes there's a lot of weird spacey stuff but ultimately it's like every environment every level is this different sort of environment like this different sort of natural place so like the first level when people get a hold of it is like this like cave and i'd say like yellowstone national park inspired area and so before you came along i was sitting here like how do i get a how do i get a recording of a, a geyser and <laughs> make that sound half decent <laughs> and then keeping in mind that it is an alien world i was also thinking about like well so the birds aren't gonna sound like birds on earth or you know the, whatever noises you hear like it's not going to be crickets it's going to be some alien cricket yeah. so what i did was i took a forest recording i'm not sure how much you hated it when you got a hold of it but i literally flipped it backwards and like phased it to try to <laughs> make it sound like <laughs> alien nature <laughs> i i hear what you did to it so i didn't hate it but um yeah i i totally understood where you were coming from and that's yeah also for 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 Stellar Valkyrie, that's also kind of my my idea, um, and that's that's why it's a bit easier to make sounds for it, or or I'm a bit quicker because I, yeah, I can go a bit wild, I can make sounds a bit funny, and but still for like the water footsteps, for example, I think you remember, I would go out there with flippers and <laughs> walk around in puddles because I really liked that specific sound, and yeah. I could look for hours or like fabricate one, but for me. Personally, it's more fun and easier to drive five minutes through a puddle and record them. And yeah, 
that's why they sound pretty much like you would expect them to sound. Yeah. And yeah. Well, let's take it a step further and let's like blast off into outer space with this idea, literally. So if you account for the size of the planet, its gravity, and it, the density of its atmosphere, everything should inherently sound completely bizarre and different than what our ears are used yep. to. And there has to be, obviously, it has to be something that's relatable and people can't just... <laughs> we we want to make a, a funny, zany first-person shooter and it's not an immersive sim, but you could go that far with it if you really yeah. wanted to. I'm glad that it's you and not me, though, because... <laughs> I'm not as detail oriented as you are in any way. I'm a very like, get the job done. Okay, move on. Kind of. Yeah, that's also very needed. I mean, you need <laughs> some kind of guidance for, for people that are just going wild with it. You need some kind of uh, restrictions or guidelines um, to keep the people motivated and like experiment um, in, in, a, in a context they can play with. Then the best stuff happens. Because if you have like all the freedom in the world, if you have like a uh, like I had at the beginning, I had a DAW and I bought all those fancy synths and all those fancy sounds. And then I was just like, okay, let's make some music. I have 5,600 kicks to choose from. Let's just go through them all. Um, yeah, that doesn't work. You need some kind of, there's always some kind of restriction you need to work in to make it work. But yeah, the, the thing you were talking about, I was also... <laughs> Funny enough, thinking about it, I think yesterday or the day before that I'm not happy yet with the ambient sounds, but I want to make that as my last task if uh, when the, all the other tasks are done. But I I want to make it a bit more unnatural, strange, and a bit more yeah funny and funky, um, because yeah, just like you said, if you're starting to think about it, and I hope that if players are thinking about it and then recognizing, hey, we think we thought about that too, that they, yeah, like have a, get a chuckle out of it. So <laughs> if you really think about it, if the atmosphere is different, then voices would sound different. Birds would sound different. Maybe birds wouldn't even have that kind of like, yeah, sounds producing or, yeah, we can make a lot of fun stuff with that. And I, I, I have some ideas in the back of my head, but that's like for, for the next iteration. <laughs> so like with um all the different projects that you're working on do you do you find it easy to like compartmentalize like what each thing needs or do you sort of ever get into like a, a like, this is my skywind zone and then that drifts into a different thing that you're working on or vice versa hmm I, I think right now I'm I'm only doing Stellar Valkyrie and Call of Ragnar, which are two I would say different beasts. And um, the sounds I'm recording with the special microphones for Call of Ragnar are unique to to it and will stay unique to it, so I can't reuse it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really easy to compartmentalize. But with Skywind, it always was a bit of a like a juggling act to like squeeze some time in here and there, especially because I was like team lead and had to onboard new people, interview new people, give them test assignments and stuff. So that's, that's why I left the project a while ago to concentrate of the, on the stuff I, I have going on now. Um, so I would say right now, because I just have the two projects, it's really easy. I think if I had three or four, I couldn't do it the way I do it now, which is basically in my spare time because I mm -hmm. have a full-time job still. So Yeah. But yeah, so far it works pretty good. I mean, I have my my lists and I have my like thoughts on each project projects, and I make some small notes um, on on sounds I want to make and what I want them to do, and everything else is yeah just coming out when I do them. So very spontaneous. So like, I guess it's like a is there a specific mindset? Is what I'm asking for like when do you tune into a particular wavelength of thought? about a different project because i kind of do that where like i have to be in the mood to work on something i don't know if, i don't know how to word yeah. that and make it sound like yeah it yeah sense. totally i mean especially with those two projects if i'm doing call of Ragnar, i need a lot of time because either i have to go out and record something or i have to really fine-tune stuff and i mean the, the recording sessions, even in my studio, are way more calm. I did like sounds for 
for the journal, journal, so like page turning, making a book going up and uh, open open a book up and um, closing it down and something like that. And those have to be soft and more like, yeah, I mean, good feeling. As with Stella Valkyrie, the last time I did sounds, I, well, yeah, I think the last time I did the RoboDoc sounds, which was <laughs> <laughs> frantically barking into a microphone, just <laughs> having fun, having a drink, um, making it sound like a RoboDoc, mixing real barks with my barks and yeah just going full on nuts and yeah that was definitely something i did while not being totally sober and while just having a lot of fun and uh yeah it it, it totally is a different mindset you're right i i never thought about it but it's really that i that i do work on the project when when i have my time slots the way i feel that day so yeah sometimes i do a couple of days just call us ragnar sometimes i just do stellar and yeah, I have some small side projects. So sometimes I do some music or something like that. But most of the time, it, it depends on my mood. Yeah, right. I'm sort of dealing with that now because you know I've just had a major career change, and I'm used to like, okay, I've gotten off work now, and I sit down to do in the keep shit, and now I've, I'm always in that. Ooh, that zone when I go to work on in the keep stuff. So I'm like, okay, I got to get hit the ground running, get shit done, do this, do that, do that. <laughs> and I'm like, just having, I'm literally, I find all of that fun, which is strange because most people hate <laughs> administrative duty or anything like that. But yeah, it's not, I don't really like the administrative paperwork part of it. I like the, the directing work and the funneling people into, you know, different scenarios that ultimately end up in productivity. That is great for me. But now that I've like kind of doing the same thing all day long, I wake up in the morning and the last thing that I really can think about is like game design. I'm just like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> I need to like, I need like two hours of coffee. <laughs> just, just it's like sit here and like figure out what I'm going to start with. Because that's the other thing is like having complete freedom about the order in which I do things is not what I'm used to, which is yeah. fine, but. I now get used to it over time. It's just bizarre, and so like it takes some adjusting, I, yeah, yeah. But when I when I talk to really creative people who sort of do that all the time, I'm always curious, like, how do you get yourself there? Like, where do you, how do you put yourself in the in the correct headspace, or does it just kind of happen naturally and you just harness it when it comes? Um, yeah, I think for me because I I have like just these, I would say small windows or sometimes planned dates like. Uh, this Sunday we are going to the waterfall. Um, mm. That it's really easy for me to compartmentalize. If I would do this full time all day, um, I'm not really sure. I'm pretty sure I would I would make some kind of rough schedule to make uh, make my day a bit more structured. Um, I mean at my, at my, at my blah. I mean at my day job right now I get like the same thing I have like tasks that I need to do, but I don't really have an order. And mm -hmm. for m many of them, I don't really have a deadline. It's just like trying to get projects to go forward, trying to get processes, trying to get like people on board, um, people together. And I think it's, yeah, sometimes I feel like doing that. Something I feel like doing this, I let my feeling guide me. And so far it worked out pretty good. I mean, if I, if I have a shit day, I just, make a couple of hours, hours less. If I have a good day, I make a couple of hours more. So, yeah. If at the end of the day I'm productive, that's fine for my company. So that is, that suits me really well. I yeah. I had <laughs> to, I had to adjust a bit because in my, like the first and second and third job I had, it was always like this, yeah, you have to be here eight hours. And if you don't feel like it, yeah, then you just have to be here eight hours and then you go home. Even if you, did nothing and that always made me feel like shit because i was not being productive i was getting paid for it which i hate because if i sit somewhere and maybe four of the eight hours i do basically nothing because i just can't bring myself to be motivated by anything and i still get paid and i can't just go home it's it's really demotivating to me i think but I think that's a personality thing. Some some people need that kind of rigid structure. Some people don't. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I've learned, especially with with the pandemic and the home office and free time, um, that's when I also 
also quit my job and and started at another place which is really really free free flowing it's like basically just tell us when you're not here and otherwise do whatever you want and that really suits me i'm i'm supposed to work seven hours a day and i work seven to nine hours per day depending on my mood so yeah at the end if i'm having a shit day i'm just calling it quits at um at lunch and taking a, a walk with my daughter or something having a good time and on the next day i'm i'm yeah i'm full of energy again and that that motivates me because it can like the work can adhere to my schedule so yeah i can, i think it will take some adjusting when you when you go from like a very rigid schedule to a very open schedule but if you find out that it's for you uh, you'll probably be very happy in, with that oh yeah it's it's definitely for me i'm just you know i've been doing yeah. the same thing for years and it's just <laughs> so ingrained in me it's like wake up go to work, be there yeah. for eight hours. And like, and these are your things so like through the day, you already know what it's going to be. It's just, it's a very trained environment as opposed to a, a creative environment. Yeah. And now I'm just like free flow pretty much all day <laughs> long. You know, like here's your list of tasks for the next week or whatever, get them done. Yeah. Okay. And, and my, my problem is that like, I, I think I'm supposed to work 40 hours a week. I know that's what I'm being paid for. But if I knock it all out in like three days and uh, what do I do now? I got to find a way to make myself busy. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I mean the instinct is to be like, Oh, well I could do whatever I want now. I could go work on whatever, but like it's, I just have to have time to adjust to absolutely under, you know, this new situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is, it's really cool that you have that freedom now. And uh, I guess the natural question is like, so is, is your, wife like does she understand this this drunk guy in her basement barking into a microphone in the middle of the night is that like or is that just like a, okay all right you do your thing okay, first babe. of all we don't have a basement well whatever <laughs> no it's I mean. I mean um the cool thing is we we have like a separate room for work so mm -hmm. the the flat and the work room is like totally separate so when i do my thing it's it's not imposing on anyone and mm -hmm. mostly when i when i have to record quiet stuff i have to do it uh, at the evening or nights because otherwise kids are running around people are screaming on the on the street something like that yeah. so it's not really like a i'm doing weird stuff all day but she's yeah she's very supportive and she's she sees that i'm creative and that i have fun and that i'm like you said like passionate about details and that's yeah she's happy that i found something that that I really love, so it totally works yeah. out. The only thing she's jealous of is that she has to go into the office and I can work from home all day. So <laughs> <laughs> that's something we will have to fix. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's really good. It's, it's good that you have like a supportive kind of network and stuff. And I hope that when as your kid gets older, that she, I hope she inherits a lot of this from you. Yeah, I <laughs> hope so too. I mean, just the explorational nature. I mean, I always was a kid that went like deep into stuff and like read books like very intensely and sometimes just my parents got me a new book and two hours later I came it's finished I want another one and I was just like really intensely focused on stuff that I was interested in and and different stuff I mean books and video games and and just playing with stuff outside making up games making up stories making up board games whatever came to mind so Everything that was just like came to mind, I would just like go for it. And I hope she inherits that too, because I think that kind of free um, explorational nature, which is self-motivated, that's the key, I think. Like you want to do it because you want to do it, not because you think you will get a good job or because you think society expects something of you to, to make like something out of wood or something. Just like that's that's what I want to explore. Let's just look if I can make like a table or something and then get the wood, get the materials, just try it, ask for help, just go for it. And if you, if you realize that's not for you, then yeah, maybe try something else. That's totally fine. Just that it has to come from yourself. And I feel my parents were really supportive of me. Everything I, I started, they were like, yeah, sure, go for it. I mean, they didn't just buy me an expensive guitar or anything, but they supported me and they 
looked for what I really wanted to do and tried to nudge me in that direction and tried to show me, hey, if that's what you want to do, why why not do it? Just yeah. don't don't look to others, don't don't care if anyone think it's stupid, just go for it. And that yeah, I hope I can can give that to my daughter as well so that she yeah has the same creative freedom and doesn't feel like trapped in some kind of yeah kind of path yeah that's that's one aspect in which i was quite lucky is that i think my especially my mother was very i i wouldn't even say she was i'm not saying she wasn't supportive but it was not like that she was inherently like super supportive like oh do whatever you want you could be the president you know that kind of <laughs> thing it was like uh i think she accepted very early on that I was just not going to take no for an answer <laughs> when, when I wanted to do something. Like if I really made up my mind, like this is what I want to do, yeah, then I me too. was, uh, there's no stop in that train. And that, that's an, that I definitely inherited that from my dad, uh, <laughs> like just being really stubborn. <laughs> and, but yeah, that led to, you know, when, when I'd said, mom, I would like a guitar for Christmas. She, she didn't, you know, have any reason to doubt that I would learn how to play the guitar when I said yeah. that. And yeah. But then there's a million examples of things that I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a karate master and I'm not a karate master. So who knows? Yeah, sure. But I had to see it through. I had to try it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's, that's the, the problem with many people is the, I can't do that attitude before they ever lift a finger to try something new. Yeah. Because I didn't know that I would be a sound designer and I didn't know I would start this in my 30s. <laughs> so it's not like I was a young guy with an open mind and like an open career path and just decided it. It, it was more like one day I realized I have to do something with music and then I realized I like sound and so I just went for where my feeling guided me and yeah, it made me really happy. So, you know, I, I can't off the top of my head, I can't think of many people that I know and get along with who like, you know, graduated high school, chose what they were going to do, went to college, got a job in that field, and then just did that for the rest of their life. I, I, yeah, they're all like everyone that I know is like that is like a nurse or a, you know, maybe a firefighter, like a very specific path. I oh, think yeah. I knew one, one guy in high school who wanted to be a sheriff. That's all I did, you know. <laughs> um, I, I've definitely like met a few people who ended up in the military, I guess, through that path. Cause they're like, I want to Makes be sense. in the army and that is what I will do. But <laughs> just not a lot. Like, most of the people that I get along with are creative people. And that, that inherently means like, I don't know what I want to do. I want to do a little bit of this and that and figure it out and flow through life. Like it's a river. And they all seem much happier than your regular yeah. nine to five job person to me. And I think a, a big part of that is the ability to let something go. Because mm -hmm. if you're stuck to a path and if you're stuck to a job and to a schedule, it's the same thing, like if you buy something very expensive, it has to be good. Even if it's shit, you know, try to you try to spin it some way that it, it is good because I've I've spent so much money and time on it, it has to be good. And the ability to even after like a couple of years just say, Well, it's not for me. That ability I think is important because people change all the time. People don't just yeah, get to be 18 or 21 and then they are adults and then that's the same until they are dead. I mean, there's so much example of people in, in their 40s or 50s that are starting a whole new career part and starting a whole new company. And I think people that are deciding what they want to be and stick to it, that are a lot of them, not all maybe, but a lot of them are afraid of change, afraid of letting things go. And that hurts in a lot of areas of life. I mean, if something yeah. doesn't go to plan, they can cope with it because, yeah, it's just a tragedy. It's just everything is fucked. But life goes so many different ways and paths. And if you can be a bit more open, I mean, you, you don't have to be very free-flowing in the sense that you do something different every day and see nothing through. I mean, a bit of balance is nice. And a bit of that stubbornness, which I have as well, is nice because then you can really go go for something but yeah the the ability to let go is is very important i think yeah i think those are very wise and mature <laughs> words honestly like just the the ability to let go is a lot because like for those people who you know, let's say you go to college for 
eight years to be a dentist and you become a dentist and you decide you fucking hate it. But so you're so invested. I mean, you're financially invested, your time invested. You probably by that point have an expensive house and a car and a hot wife who spends a lot of your money and kids running around who need things. And so you can't give up the lifestyle that you've set a precedent for. What you got to (laughs) do. Yeah. So you're just going to be a fucking dentist for the rest of your life. Sorry, bud. And it's like a prison. It's like a, a self-imposed prison. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite wrestlers is actually a Dr. Britt Baker DMD, who is a dentist, but decided that she wanted to be a pro wrestler and just like went and did that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's um, awesome, man. That's really awesome. Uh, I just, it's a mate. When you hear someone say that they've had a complete change of career, you know, late in their life, it's amazing when you hear it. It's like, oh my God, that's incredible. But like, why, why does it have to be so in, like incredible? Why can't it just yeah. be like, you know, normal? I, yeah, just I just changed my path, like, because I yeah. felt like it. Um, that's pretty brilliant, dude. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, do that, man. Wise words. I'm gonna write a, a book of proverbs from Ben Rexton. <laughs> oh, God.